All right. I think everything is working correctly. We will see. All right. Um, If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Job. Turn to the book of Job. When you come up with the idea to follow the lectionary, it's a great idea because you know each week what you're going to be doing, right? Hey, I'm going to look at the lectionary readings. I'm going to do something with them. Now, you know that obviously the simplest way to do so would be to take the lectionary readings, maybe read all of the readings, and then pick one of the readings and teach that. That would make the most sense, right? But we know that I have a tendency to do what? I, well, maybe, yeah, I don't make the most sense. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a nice way of saying it. What I have a tendency to do is take the difficult route instead of the easy one, right? Because you know the one thing I don't like is just the typical three little points in a supposed sermon. I don't like the normal sermon structure. So I like to present us with a, you know, scriptural problem, and then we work together to try to fix it. Well, today, the... the the scripture readings present us uh, some problems. And the real problem is, why in the world did they put these scripture readings together? I, I think I have an idea, but I don't, know if any, I don't know if it's the right idea. Because the only problem with the lectionary readings is you've got to be careful of doing what? Finding connection where there isn't a connection but we at least try to understand it. You know, going back into church history, it's not like there was someone going, well, we chose these passages for this reason, so we, in many cases, don't know. Sometimes it's brilliant. Sometimes I don't really understand what's going on, but we're going to try to figure it out. So the first reading today is in the book of Job. The book of Job. And it starts in chapter 7. Now, anytime the lectionary tells me to go to the book of Job, I get really, 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 really nervous because what are some of the... Issues facing the book of Job. To anyone who reads the book of Job, what do you always have to remember? Who is speaking? And you got to remember that no matter who is speaking, there's a high probability that they may be saying things. Now, listen to what I'm going to say here because everyone thinks this sounds heretical. There's times they're saying things that aren't correct. That aren't true. Because the book of Job contains what? speeches given by sinful human beings, correct? So they may reflect wrong theology, wrong idea. It may reflect Job's emotion more than it reflects anything else. You've got to understand that. That's why it drives me crazy when people grab certain verses from Job in a sermon. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, who said that? Like, well, well, it's true. According, like, no, just stop. We, we got to put it in context. So I get nervous when it's in the book of Job, all right? So Job chapter 7 is where they want us to be. So that's where we're going to start. They, they want us to skip a verse. I'm not going to skip it. I'll, 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 I'll tell you that which verse they want us to skip when we get there, and then you can try to figure out why they want us to skip it, all right? It's just weird. They, they skip one verse in the middle of all of these verses. But here we go. Job chapter 7, verse 1. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hireling look for the reward of, looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? 
and I am full of tossing to and fro unto the dawning of the day. All right, the, the verses one through four, Job is expressing some negative feelings towards life itself. All right, he's, he's, he's a little frustrated by life itself. Now, the next verse is the verse they want us to skip. All right, verse five, he says, my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. Now, they want us to skip that one. Now, that one adds a little bit of context to me, right? You can see why maybe he's weary and tired of life. What's going on with him physically? Yeah, he's in a little bit of pain. His flesh is clothed with worms. That sounds like a bad, that sounds like you need some medical attention quickly, right? Right? And clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. That sounds like he's got something really, 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 really bad. All right? Really bad, okay? Now, but I want us to skip that one. Then they go to verse six. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. My eyes shall no more see good. Now, if you take verses 1 through 4 and 6 through 7, they skip, it appears to me, they skip 5. And what would be the reason for skipping 5? Let's see if you can figure it out. What what would be the reason for skipping 5? What would be the reason for skipping 5? Anybody? (laughs) well five okay verses one verses one through four and six through seven they deal primarily with job's overall feelings about what life his feelings about life five turns it from this kind of concept of life and his feelings towards it more towards his personal well-being Now, his personal well-being may very much influence how he feels about life, but they don't want us to get so much into his personal well-being. I'm going to read those verses in a different translation just so that you can hear them, all right? Job chapter 7, verse 1. It isn't each person consigned to forced labor on earth? So in a roundabout way, Job begins by saying what? Hey, I didn't choose to be here. I didn't choose to be born. And then you're born and immediately what are you stuck with? You're in a life and you got to do things. Haven't I been consigned to forced labor? Now, sometimes your kids may say that, right? I didn't ask to be born and then I'm born and you're giving me all these things to do. Why am I going to do them? I didn't ask for this. And in a roundabout way, they have an argument. They didn't ask for it. Right? You, you don't ask to be born and someone's like, take out the trash. Well, why do I have to take out the trash? I didn't ask to be here. You're the one who put me here. It's your job. Right? <laughs> Bobby's going to argue against it. The point is, we all can, we've all felt that. I mean, maybe for some of you, you are really, really old. But if you think back, you've all felt at some point in your life this idea like, well, I didn't ask to be here, right? Okay, so that's kind of the, the idea. Are not, and then he goes on to say, are not his days like those of a hired worker? Like a slave, he longs for shade. Like a hired worker, he waits for his pay. Like you, you view life at the best, you're a worker. Trying to earn something. 
at the worst, you are a slave. And you're, just, and you're just looking for what? The slave is just looking for what, according to this translation? Shade. A, a worker, you may be looking for some kind of, you know, recompense, some kind of pay. But here, so at, at the best, you're a worker just trying to get something, or you're a slave just trying to find some relief. He goes on to say, like a hired worker, he waits for his pay. So I have been made to inherit months of futility, and troubled nights have been assigned to me. So, hey, my life is month after month of futility, meaninglessness. That's what I've been getting. And, I, and guess what else I get? I can't sleep. Then he goes, when I lie down, when I, when I lie down, I think, when will I get up? Right? In other words, you lie down and what are you thinking? It's got to tie, it's, I got to get up and time to make the donuts. I know it's a dated reference, but you know, you get, you get the idea, right? Oh. Because you go to sleep and all you know, you got to wake up the next morning to do. That's why I hate sleep. What's the point of going to sleep? I got to get up again, right? Right? So why don't I just do what I need to do while I'm awake? And I just, okay, the whole thing is just sleep is the, I don't know who created sleep. It was a horrible idea. All right. But the even, I'm going to say sleep is a result of the fall. All right. Therefore, it's sinful. All right. Okay. That, that's my theology. Okay. I think I can prove it, okay, all right? But the evening drags on endlessly, and I toss and turn until dawn. Like, you know you got to get up, and you're just tossing and turning, right? And then, okay, we're going to skip five, but if I read five, they, they make it very graphic. My flesh is clothed with maggots and encrusted with dirt. My skin forms scabs and then oozes. I mean, he's in a, some bad, bad shape, is he not? Verse 6, my days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle, then come to my end without hope. Remember that my life is but a breath. My eye will never again see anything good. I think he's driving the point home. Job has reached the point of what? Hopelessness. Despair. I'm never going to... In other words, this. my whole life is bad. So in the first part, he deals with, he, he looks at life from the perspective of either a hired worker or a slave who didn't ask to be put in those situations. And he's got to deal with it. He also deals with the fact that in life, he can't sleep, he's tossed and turns because he's got all of these responsibilities. And then he ends by saying, life is brief and I'm never, ever going to see anything good. Now, the one thing I love about Job is, now, well, the one thing I love about Job is how honest and real he is. What I hate about Christianity is he would be told to shut up and not talk that way within Christianity because they would say, how dare you say you're never going to see anything good? God is good and he's good all the time, right? Okay, they, that, that would give him that nonsense. Wait, just stop. Remember, in the spiritual life, one must allow themselves to be real, open, and honest. In the Bible, it's called a lament. And a lament is a spiritual cry of pain, not turned into a Disney or a Hallmark movie. You can say what you feel because there's no point in hiding it, right? You got to deal with the reality of your emotion because trying to do, Christianity always wants you to wrap yourself up in fig leaves and self-righteousness and to pretend to be something you're not because we never can be very real. 
But because if we're real, what do we get? <gasps> How dare you? Well, okay. Sometimes we have to be real. Job is painfully real, is he not? Look, when you get to the point you're saying, my eyes are never going to see anything good ever again, you would reference that as being what? Pretty depressed and pretty discouraged. Would you not agree? All right, there's the first reading. There's the first reading. Now, I, you could take that first reading. If we were to preach that first reading, I don't know how I would preach it, right? That doesn't make for a nice three-point sermon, does it? I could break it down into three points, but it'd be three negative points. We could talk about the reality of pain, but the, the church would always come in and then try to offer some kind of maybe nice little solution. I don't know if there's a nice little solution. Well, let's see what the lectionary does. Now, they give us a psalm. But I'm going to skip the psalm for now because remember, technically speaking, the psalm is not considered a reading, right? The psalm is more for the, it's used in the worship, right? You, it's responsive, right? You either read it or it's sung. Okay, everybody understand that? Okay, so typically the psalm is not a part of the reading, but in many cases it connects thematically. So we're going to circle back and end with the psalm. Let's go to the next passage is the epistle reading, which is 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians. Now, when I saw that they were going to Corinthians, you know what my, my mind thought? I know what they're going to do. It's going to be that passage in Corinthians where Paul talks about all of the sufferings he has endured. And I'm like, oh, I know where they're going. I got this figured out. That's not where they go. And I was like, wait, what is happening right now? Okay, First Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read this from the King James first. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And they want us to start 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 16. All right, you got your thinking caps on? All right. Whoever can figure this out will win a million dollars. Not from me, but from someone. Okay, all right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 16. Paul is speaking. For, I, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Right, that's an interesting verse, is it not? Okay. Next, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. You may want to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 18 and have it stored in your memory bank. The next time some Christian tells you they're going to a conference where they're paying $60, $100 to get into to hear someone preach the word of God. Because that's literally against scripture, but no one is ever condemned for such nonsense. Okay, but I digress. All right, verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. So that's 16 through 19. Then they want us to skip. Verse 20, verse 21. Then they want us to come back in at verse 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. 
And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. That is the second reading. Now, do we, do we see any connection? Okay, all right, all right. Bobby sees a, a something similar, okay? What do you see similar? Oh, okay. All right. well, be, because Paul is talking at the beginning here about, hey, I have a responsibility. I have something I have to do, which is preach the gospel, right? Now, Job is just talking about the responsibilities of life. Paul is talking about the responsibilities of the gospel. But they're both, in a sense, servants, something you have to do. Paul talks a little bit about reward as Job talked about either a hireling who gets paid or a slave, right? Okay, there, there's some similarities there. I don't know exactly how to connect them perfectly, I'm, but I, I don't know. But I do believe, I do believe 1 Corinthians 9 is where the answer lies in this puzzle that we are about to try to put together. I do believe it contains the answer. I don't know if that's the answer, but I believe the answer is there. Now, the gospel reading is Mark chapter 1. And if you've been following the lectionary this year, you know it's Mark, 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 Mark. That's the gospel for the year, all right? Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And it's this passage. You ready? Mark chapter 1. I'll go to the King James here. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Everybody there? All right, so let's see what we find here. We got to go 29 to 39. They don't skip anything in the gospel. Mark 1, 29 to 39. Nothing is skipped. Here we go. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever And anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues, therefore all Galilee, throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. Those are the three readings. Now, I see two paths to connecting these. I see two paths, all right? Do you guys see the two paths to connect these? Do you see the two paths? 
There's two possible paths. I'm hearing silence. I will interpret that silence as that you do not. Okay, are you reading it again? Okay. All right, if you need to look at them again, feel free to. I'll give you time because we don't do things like a normal church, right? Other churches, you come to listen. Here, you come to teach, okay? All right. What do you think? I see two paths. Two paths to make this work. Okay. All right, well, I'll, get, I'll give you a path. Okay, oh, oh, you got something about Jaina? Yeah, try and put it all together. Okay, well, that's kind of going in a, in a, well, that's one of the paths, all right? So one of the paths is this. Job speaks about necessity and being, he didn't ask to be in this situation. He has this necessity and he has this responsibility, right? Okay, and he may be doing it for high, trying to find some kind of way to get paid or just finding a way to find some kind of comfort, right? But he's all dealing with it from a very negative, derogatory perspective, Right? I, look, life is short, it's full of pain and suffering, and I have all of this responsibility. I'm tired of it. It's vain. It's meaningless. I'm never going to see any good thing. It's all like, that, that, like, that's a very earthly, fleshly perspective. Now, we understand why he has the perspective, because he's suffering, but that just shows you sometimes suffering destroys any kind of heavenly perspective, right? Because suffering has a way to make the reality of earth far greater than the hope of heaven. Suffering makes the reality of earth far greater than the hope of heaven. We, if you've ever suffered, you know that, right? During the time of great suffering, you can't even think heaven or God, or you just think of what you're going through. Right? So we all know that, right? right? So I think that's a very important principle, right? Suffering makes the reality of earth greater than the hope of heaven. You may want to write that down because that's a very important principle. I think we see that. Job, Job starts, the book of Job starts out with him believing and trusting in God. In that section, he doesn't even mention God. God doesn't even exist at the, in his mind at that point. We can understand that. So you have that necessity. But then it switches in 1 Corinthians. Now a necessity is mentioned. But the necessity here is to preach the gospel. To t- because now this necessity is a necessity with someone who is more heavenly minded versus earthly minded. So in this case, the heavenly minded takes precedence over the earthly responsibility. Paul is more concerned about his spiritual responsibility. The same thing shows up briefly in the Mark passage. Look at the very, I think, last verse of that Mark passage. They tell him, they show up and they, hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And what does Jesus say? Let's go into the next town. I've got to go preach. Now, he just left a bunch of people who are suffering, right? Physical suffering. 
Now you would think Jesus is like, oh, well, I need to go back and make sure all of their physical needs are met. But it's like, no, I need to go to the next town to preach. He didn't say it. My, I came to heal. I came to preach. So Jesus has a necessity to preach. In other words, Jesus knows what's most important is preaching the kingdom of God. No, no we, I don't want to get into a whole theological dispute over that. Preaching the gospel, let's say it that way. Because I say preaching the kingdom of God, then we get into all of that dispensational discussions, okay? But you get the idea. Come to preach. Now, for some people, they don't want to hear preaching. They want to hear healing. Because life is full of it. So, f- full of suffering and pain, right? So, let's, so one path here is to show that sometimes in our lives, we can only see our earthly responsibility, our earthly pain, our earthly suffering, and we can completely lose sight of the spiritual. But what we have to learn to do is to see the spiritual far greater than the physical. That is not, there's no easy three-point plan in doing that. It's just, that's the struggle we always face, right? Do I know there's a God? Do I know there's a heaven? Do I know there's an eternity? I know that. But, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes that's like a galaxy far, far away. Right? It's like, it, it feels like the beginning of Star Wars. It, does, it doesn't feel like it's real because guess what's real? Life. Job, paying the bills, family, sickness, taxes, this, that, all of the stuff in life. And sometimes we can become so, we see the necessity of life and forget the necessity of eternity. Look, we've all been there. This is the human struggle. Job expresses it. And sometimes we can become so consumed with our, our circumstances and our reality that we cannot even begin to see heaven. And, and, and don't act like, well, a Christian. Job is considered a perfect righteous man. And this perfect righteous man, just give him the right circumstances. And he's like, I'm never going to see another another good thing ever in my life, ever. It's over. And you're like, what happened to Job? The same thing that happens to all of us. Life punches us in the face, right? Right? You know, was it, I can't remember the famous boxer who said it. Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Everyone's got a strategy until you get punched in the face. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to... Oh, what, what am I, I don't know what I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know what I'm going to do now, right? Well, we can sit in church and you get your four-point spiritual outline, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love God and I'm going to serve God. Remember when you first became a Christian and then all of a sudden you walk out of, oh, and you walk out of church and someone, you know, punches you in the face, life punches you in the face. And then they guess what the next thing you're doing. I know that very clear. I know that very clear in my own life. I got saved in First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas, and I walked out of that church and got punched in the face. And then it wasn't long, what, 20 miles from here? Maybe 20 miles from here? On a 3,000 acre ranch or whatever it was, how many acres? I was kneeling down on the floor with a pistol ready to shoot myself and kill myself. Something happened between walking out of church going, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus and I'm going to love Jesus to being ready to kill myself. Something happened. You know what happened? Life happened. And guess what? At the moment that I knelt down, I did say, Father, forgive me. 
I did pray for forgiveness right before I got ready to pull the trigger. Thank God someone walked in and stopped me because if I wouldn't have, I would be dead. So I did know heaven existed, but guess what? The pain of the present outweighed the hope of heaven. I didn't even care. I just wanted the pain and the the pressing. The, everyone knows that when you're in pain, you want it to stop. You want it to go away. It's hard to go, well, hey, all things work together for good. Well, I don't care that they will. I know now they're not. Okay, that's what I know. Don't give me your, your verses. Because trust me, standing at my mother's funeral, everyone gave me all their little nonsense. And it was all nonsense because nothing... What, and nobody, and so eight weeks in a psychiatric hospital, I had to come to a lot of reality, right? That life is, it, it, it can be, it, it can be not so good. I had to deal with a lot of all of it. But, so we, we, we always, everyone, whether you're in it now or whether you're going to be in it, this is the, the thing. There's always a storm coming. And when that storm arrives, right, guess what? It overwhelms you with the reality of life and it drowns out the hope of heaven. We all deal with it and it's hard to ever be prepared for it spiritually. No matter how prepared you are for it, like you think you can be prepared until the storm hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I don't know if there's anything you can ever truly do because pain and tragedy hits in a way that we can never truly can, can prepare for. You really can't. Some things you think you can be prepared for, but you just really can't. We, I, do you see that path in this? Job sees what? The responsibility and pain of life and the brevity of life. And he has given up. He feels like he's never going to see another good thing. Paul is preoccupied with the responsibility of the gospel. And what, it, and what should be done. And he understands that his job is to preach the gospel. Now, there's some parts there I would like to go into a little bit more to, to get into because there's some interesting parts there. But Paul is like, look, my job is to give the gospel and not charge anyone for it. I'm, to, I'm supposed to do everything I can to bring the gospel to everyone. And then Jesus is there and they're like, hey, all these people are looking after you. I said, oh, look, well, I'm going to go back to those people. I got to keep going because I came to preach. In other words, that's his responsibility. The focus is on the spiritual. We, we, look, we live somewhere in between that. Sometimes I make an hour and I'm really thinking good about the spiritual and then the next six hours I'm only thinking about earth and life. Agreed? Now, I think there's another possible answer here. Another possible path. And the path is very much connected. All right? So, y'all want to consider this? All right. Paul acknowledges a little bit in his writing, a little bit about suffering and about the the realities of life, does he not? If you look at 1 Corinthians 9, go back to it. I'm going to go through quickly here and try to put this together. I think the first point, I think the first part, I think hopefully is, is good. But I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of it, uh, of for the necessity is laid 
upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. All right? So whether he does it willingly, if he doesn't do it willingly, there's going to be something, but there's two different ways of approaching it. All right? Then he's going to preach the gospel without charge. He's not going to abuse his power in the gospel. All right? And then, he remember, he jumps down to verse 22. Right? Or verse 19, or, uh, for though I be free from all men, that I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Then, to the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that, my, that I might by all means save some. He understands he has a responsibility to preach the gospel so that some may be saved. Jesus knows, hey, these people may want to be healed, but I need to preach because the hope is in the preaching message. So I think there is another path here. We have the path between a a very physical way of looking at things from a very heavenly way of looking at things. But I think in a roundabout way, there's a little bit of spiritual picture being developed here, right? Job is suffering. And suffering, very much in many cases, is likened unto the suffering of sin, right? Leprosy sometimes is seen as a picture of sin, right? So suffering, right? In sin, we suffer. Look, put it this way. Sin will ultimately put you in hell, and it's far worse than what Job was suffering. Can we agree to that? Yes? Okay. Without Christ... All of those physical elements that they were suffering in Mark cannot compare to what sin will ultimately do for you, right? So the gospel is the message to save you from all of that. In many cases, the physical healings that Jesus gave were there to do what? To paint the picture that, hey, he is the, he is God. It was only to demonstrate that he is God and that putting your hope in him. Now, everybody always wants those physical miracles, but the physical miracles were to point to a greater spiritual reality that in Christ, there will be deliverance from all of these things, but that's in eternity. So in a roundabout way, what we have, if we have a, Heavenly-minded perspective. Now I'm going to use the first part here to bring to the second part. If we have a heavenly-minded perspective, then what we would see is in the gospel comes the greatest blessings. So I want us to consider some of the blessings that flow from us in the gospel, believing in the gospel, right? I, I, I could put out 53, I could put 60, I could put a lot. But let's just go through a couple of these, right? I just, I just chose, I chose seven, but I'm not going to have time to articulate all seven in any great way. But so, or I'm not going to have a chance to look up all the cross references, okay? But we should know this. One of the first great, absolutely amazing thing that comes from the gospel right? is no matter what I'm suffering from physically, I know that we are all suffering spiritually because we're all what? Sinners. And guess what we obtain in the gospel? The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Through salvation, we believe uh, through salvation, believers receive forgiveness of their sins and are reconciled to God. We could look at Ephesians 1. We could look at Colossians 1. The forgiveness of sins. 
Now, sometimes Christians teach that, but it's so weird that they often forget that. So I'm just going to give you one example. And I believe in many cases, Lordship Salvation is guilty of forgetting this. When Bobby became a Christian, what sins were forgiven? All. Now, we definitely agree past is forgiven. I hope we believe present is forgiven. And hopefully we would believe the future is forgiven. And why are they forgiven? Because they're forgiven by the death of Jesus Christ. And what do we believe? Remember, we believe in this thing called amputation. All right? Everybody remember how amputation works really quick? Adam's sin and guilt is imputed to us. So even if you've never committed a sin, you're still guilty in Adam. That stinks. Right? You know, as a teenager would say, I didn't do anything. Okay? But we're all guilty in him. But it doesn't take us long for us to do our own thing. All right? So we're, but we're guilty. Right? We're guilty. We're guilty in Adam. We're guilty in our own life. We're guilty in our own actions. Right? That's, that's no good. Right? But then our sin is imputed to Christ and he dies for them. That means all of our sins. And if he dies for all of our sins and we believe, then guess what happens? My sin died on him. Therefore, I'm crucified in Christ. So I no longer live. We always want to make that a practical thing. It's a positional thing. I am crucified with Christ. I have died. So now that the life I live, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now that I live, guess how I live? By his righteousness being imputed to me. Well, that means all my sins are gone. But then Christianity loves to run around and go, but Bobby, 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 if you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this, it proves you're never saved. Well, what should Bobby say? It can't prove that I'm never saved because it's all been paid for. It's all been forgiven. Someone can't run up to Bobby and go, here's the MacArthur test. Do you pass the test? No, 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 no. All of those things on those tests that I failed, Christ paid for and died for. Why are you dragging up my sin to tell me I'm not saved if you believe Jesus died For it. It's been forgiven. So for my salvation, it's all been forgiven. Now we understand that my fellowship may be impacted by it, but that doesn't impact my salvation. So we we sometimes forget we've been forgiven. That's the blessing. In other words, In life, we still feel pain, suffering. It's still a reality. But what can I always know? At least I am forgiven before the God of all creation. That's good news. And that that is never impacted at all by suffering or your response to suffering. Even if your response to suffering is bad as Job's, Right? Which I don't think was that bad. I think it was just honest. But even if you want to view it as being bad, guess what? Guess what is not impacted? Your forgiveness. Because your forgiveness was done by the, by the death of Christ. All right? Eternal life. Salvation offers the promise of eternal life with God in heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news. Because this life 
may be filled with pain and suffering. And what did Job say about it? It's here and it's gone. It's here and it's gone. How did he describe it in Job? It's wind. Like it's just, it's vapor. It's gone, right? It's gone. Well, guess what? You have eternal life. Now, having eternal life should then mean what should our focus be? An eternal one, not a temporal one. But pain makes us want to look at what? The temporal. See, pain is like it grabs you by the hair and rips your head around and makes you look. Makes you look, right? All you can see is the the temporal, right? When I I was in uh, basic training, they had us... They, they brought us into this room where there was all these lockers, right? And they gave us a key and they told us to put the key around our neck, right? And then they would make us march, stop, right? Then you would kneel down, take the key, put it in the lock. You're supposed to unlock it and pull out the drawer, right? Then they'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you unlocking it? And then you'd have to lock it back, get back up, march back around. Okay. Well, I get down. I got the key around my neck. I put it in and I can't get the key. I can't get the key out. Look, what is wrong? I'm trying. I'm doing everything. I'm trying to pull the, and a key will not come out. And I can't stand up. And, and all I can hear, if, if you ever in basic training, you know the sounds of taps on their boots because they had put t- taps on their boots so you can hear the click, 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 click. And I hear it coming. And all I can think right now, there's no eternity. There's no God. There's no heaven. There's no hell. All I know is I hear taps coming at me at, at a high rate of speed. And all of a sudden, someone reaches down, grabs me, and yanks me up and went down. The, the, the key around my neck, the th- thing breaks, and they just throw me into the wall. I mean, I go crashing into the wall, and I'm like, I'm like scared for my life. Well, at that point, guess where my focus was? The here, and I didn't care about anything else. Well, life will pick you up, or you're trying to unlock something, you're trying to do something, and throw you into the wall. And at that moment, Eternity disappears. At that moment, I didn't care that I was a Christian who was going to heaven. I was scared for my, I literally was scared for my life. I really was. Because he threw me so hard into that wall. I thought it was like, the end, I, I thought the end was near, right? I mean, like I was scared, right? Because it, it was frightening. So, but that's what life does. Life does that and we forget it. So what, what, what we need to realize is Paul is preaching the gospel. Jesus is preaching the gospel. And they're both preaching the gospel to people who are suffering. To those who are weak. To those who are suffering. And the suffering, we always want the end of the suffering. But the gospel provides an end of the suffering, but it's way down the road. And that can disturb us, can it not? Some people want to take the promise of heaven and bring it to earth and then sell Christianity by offering the promise of heaven as a promise for now. That's called the charismatic movement. Well, guess what? Anyone who lives this life knows that that doesn't work. The gospel says you're forgiven and you have eternal life. Meaning the storm may be bad now. The pain may be bad now. But there is an eternal ultimate solution. But you got to be focused on the eternal. And it's hard to be focused on the eternal. It's hard to be focused on the eternal. All right? Forgiveness, eternal life. We have peace with God. 
Those who are saved experience peace with God through Jesus Christ. Look, we may not have peace in this life, right? In other words, we may not have peace with our circumstances. We may not have peace with our past. We may not have peace with other people. But guess what? None of that. Even if I struggle with peace with my past, even if I struggle with peace with other people, guess what I can have? I can have peace with God. I can have peace with God. And all of those other, because my peace with God is based off what? Being justified by faith alone. Right? It has nothing to do with me. My peace with God has nothing to do with me. I may mess up 15 times, but it's all been forgiven. It's all been paid for. Right? So we have peace with God. Next, we are adopted into God's family. And guess what happens because we're adopted into God's family? We become heirs of God. We become joint heirs with whom? Christ. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We're we're joint heirs. We have an inheritance. Remember Job talked about getting paid? Even Paul in, in the first Corinthian passage is about being rewarded, right? Well, we have the ultimate reward. We're going to inherit everything that ultimately belongs to Christ. Everything. Because we're joint heirs with him. So we inherit the kingdom. We inherit all. That's, that, but that, guess when that's going to happen? And eternity. So what happens in the meantime? Well, Life comes running at us with taps on its boots, picks us up and throws us into a wall. And all we can be is like, I, I, can't, I can't see it. You forget that you've been forgiven. You forget that you have eternal life. You forget peace with God. And you forget that you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ and that you're adopted into the family of God. All you can see at that moment is the reality of what you are suffering. The gospel is where we need to see the gospel as the ultimate thing. The, the gospel and what we receive from it. Now, I could go through, I got, I got pages here of all the different things. We, we obviously have access to God in prayer, right? Because through grace, we have access to God. We, we, can, we can approach him uh, with confidence. We have hope and assurance. We have a blessed hope. We have an eternal hope. But all of that requires for us to look at it from an a spiritual perspective, but life will pull us away from the spiritual perspective and look at a fleshly perspective. And, and look, there's t- look, there are times life can be so bad that you can't blame someone for looking at it in a fleshly perspective. And you have to just let them look at it that way for a long time. You got to let them go through it. You can't just come and say, well, here's my three-point sermon. Just stop. You got to let them go through it. You got to let them process. You got to let them deal with it. Right? Big controversy. I did a podcast about it. Okay? A pastor, Methodist pastor. She's, go, she's a female pastor. She's going to her car in the middle of the day. She's carjacked, shot, and killed. The person who did it was a teenager. They just had the trial. At the trial, her husband got a chance to speak to the victim. In court, guess what he said? No. 
He said, I will never forgive you. I hate you. I want you to suffer. And I want your family to suffer. And I hate you. And I cannot say the next part because he used an explicit language about how deep his hatred goes. Now, it's easy for people to do what? Judge that. Well, I'm not going to judge that. You know why? Because I, I cannot understand the pain. I can only relate that I would relate to it in a way that I think I know how, that I would probably feel probably the same way he does. He's angry. Now, I don't know. Now, we can get a discussion. Well, you, now, of course, the Bible tells us to forgive. I'm not saying it doesn't. Obviously, the Bible tells us to forgive. I'm not, I'm not denying the biblical teaching. What I'm saying is I can understand. Because at that moment, what does he see? The here and now. It's just like Job. I'm never going to see another good day. Hey, I can, I can, I, I mean, how do you blame someone from that? The struggle is at some point to look to an eternal perspective. And we always struggle with the eternal perspective because the eternal perspective means there's a God and they're like, why doesn't God... Do you think Job had some questions? Yeah, and he never got answers. That's my favorite part of the book of Job. He doesn't get answers. You know why it's my favorite part? We don't get answers. I I think we never really get answers. We have, we have biblical principles. And the biblical principles is that this is what we get in salvation. And it's, and it's an amazing thing that we get. We can look at all the blessings that flow from it, and it's amazing. We are spiritually healed from our sin. We are positionally declared righteous. Now, I think because the gospel is so good, we, we must maintain a spiritual mindset, understanding that gospel is the ultimate solution. And we don't need to get sidetracked with wrong solutions because so many times Christianity gets hijacked with thinking that we have the, the solution is the gospel. And that gospel is not the solution that necessarily fixes everything now. It fixes everything then. And I, and I would love to talk more about, I, I cannot stress it enough, Paul then says, I make the gospel of Christ without charge. I cannot stress that enough. We make the gospel without charge. Hey, we should not be charging people to hear the gospel. It it drives me crazy. But such a powerful thing. Now, let's end with the psalm. Now, do you see the two paths of looking at this? And see how they are related before I read this psalm? Right? Before, I, before I, I read the psalm, let me just make sure. The first path is just showing the responsibility, right? Or showing an earthly perspective versus a heavenly perspective, right? But then once we get that heavenly perspective, then we focus on the gospel and the blessings that flow from the gospel, even in the midst of suffering. The blessings of the gospel should, should, in a sense, sustain us and give us hope in the midst of the pain. Sometimes the pain has a way of drowning out the hope of the gospel. But Psalm 147 is the psalm. 
Everybody ready? Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the, he telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their great names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth the beast his food and the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the, in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, uh, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, of Z- O Zion, for he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth uh, the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth the wind to blow and the waters flow. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgment, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. So we are to praise God for his greatness. We're praise God for all these things that he has done. Now, and for Israel, these in many cases are very literal, specific things that he has done. Yes? But we praise him because he's done, in a sense, greater things for us because physical, these physical manifestations, there's times we want them, but he's given us a manifestation of eternity by saving us, forgiving us, giving us his Holy Spirit to seal us unto the day of redemption. He's giving us a blessed hope, an eternal hope. We are we, he's adopted us into the family of God. We are joint heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have all of this. And we so overlook these spiritual blessings because we want physical blessings and physical deliverance. But Jesus looks to the crowd and says what? I'm going to preach. Well, you could be like, but Jesus... The, why do you think people were looking for him? Just in the context of that Mark passage, why do you think they were looking for him? For more healings, don't you think? And he's like, I got to go preach. And they're like, but Jesus, they, because they're, it's, 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 in some ways that sounds harsh, but it is the way, look, if Christianity is true, it's really the way it works. Jesus doesn't offer us all the physical deliverances and that life is going to be wonderful and great. In fact, he kind of warns us that it's not going to be. He gives us Job as an example that it's not going to be. So we've got to cling on to that gospel and what it brings us, which is all of this spiritual blessings. You need to make a list of all the spiritual blessings you have in salvation, forgiveness, eternity, and cling to those. 
Because those do not change or, and they are not impacted by what? The pain of life. They stay true. Even if you don't feel them, they stay true. Isn't it good to have something that your feelings don't impact? It's good to know that when I was trying to kill myself and spent eight weeks in a psychiatric hospital, guess what never changed? My forgiveness, eternal life. All, none of that changed. Even though I may not have realized it at the time. Nothing changed. It's not a, it's all of what God, we have to cling to that. And sometimes you're clinging, you're barely hanging on to it because everything in life is louder and you can't see any, you've got, it's the struggle. And I don't have any simple way to make it work other than just trying to remind yourself constantly of, hey, there is an eternity and guess what? In that eternity, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, and no more death. I know we all wish that that started, well, years ago. But the reality is, it's guaranteed for then. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, I pray we would meditate on these scriptures today, give them much thought, and you would help us. Well, I can't speak for anyone else, Lord, but forgive me for typically having a much more worldly, physical perspective that sees the reality of this life and not the hope of heaven. Forgive me for that. and Let me see heaven and the promise of eternity more than I see the realities of life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,